Dark Days of Dorothy Gale contains content not suitable for children. Listener discretion is advised. Darker Days of Dorothy Gale Aftermath For Episode 44 Chapter 37 Vernon Howell And Canto 28 Of Dante's Inferno Malibulge Ring 9 The Sowers of Discord Welcome back, all you faithful listeners, all you people that have returned, all like three or four of you. I, you know, I analytics is a funny thing. I don't really know how many people listen to this show. Some places say that they get lots of listens for this show, and then other places say that I, I get like no listens for this show. My analytics through Anchor slash Spotify, tell me that I only get like, well, it's not important. It's not a big number. We'll leave it at that. Anyways, however many of you are out there listening to this show right now, I really appreciate it. That's like really, really cool of you. And welcome back. Unless this is your, your first time here, then then welcome too. You really should probably go check the old back catalog, though, uh, if, if this is your first episode. But, you know, who am I to judge or tell you what to do? Just uh, yeah, enjoy or whatever. In Canto 28 of the Inferno, Dante looks over the side of the bridge he and Virgil are crossing. And down there he sees the Sowers of Discord. These sinners are here because they caused schisms and splintered religions into different denominations or other religions. Also, I'm going to go ahead and say, I'm, I don't know how to pronounce this word. I could Google it. I could Bing it. I'm sure I could find a dictionary somewhere. I don't know if it's schism. I've always pronounced it as schism. It's, I, I've heard people pronounce it as schism. I'm going to say schism. If it's wrong, I apologize. And if it really annoys you that much, I really apologize. But I'm going to say schism. So, there's that. Anyways, the punishment here is the most brutal we've seen so far. And the most brutal we will see, as far as the Inferno goes, that is. Here, the sinners are split open, hacked away at, and dismembered. Dante attempts to describe the grotesque nature of this place, but finds it somewhat difficult to do that. So, he instead compares this site to the casualties of some of the world's biggest conflicts and wars. I'm not sure how close he ever got to combat, but I imagine a lot of people in this time probably saw some pretty gnarly things, whether they were in wars or not. As they traverse the landscape, their wounds heal only to be slashed and split open again by a devil with a large sword. Dante sees several lost souls here. 
He also makes his thoughts on other religions pretty clear. I'm not here to tell you one belief is right or one is wrong. You know, believe in whatever you want and all that. Within reason, of course. And don't get, again, don't get me started on astrology. I've, if, if you want my thoughts on all that stuff, go, go, go back to the, uh, layer of the diviners aftermath. I'm not, I'm not going to get into it here. Just, just not going to do it. Anyways, what difference does it really make to me, anyways, if you're all into like high mysticism or whatever? That's you. That's you. Okay. Let's, let's, let's move on. The point is, Dante expresses a bit of eh, intolerance here. Among the chief sinners in Malibulge, Ring 9, are Muhammad and his son-in-law, Ali. Okay, here's the thing. I'm not up to snuff on my Islamic texts and, and history. I apologize if I got that wrong. I'm I'm not trying to throw shade at anything. Most of the places I went to said it was his son-in-law. I don't fully understand the family trees of most religious figures, Islamic or Christian for that matter. So uh, moving, moving on, moving on. So uh, again, I apologize if that's not right. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'll, I'll go back and fix this. I, I really have no problem doing that. Anyway, these two are split wide open and disemboweled. Mohammed here spreads his chest open even more as he approaches Dante. He points out another soul whose face has been split in half. This would be Ali. Mohammed tells Dante that everyone here is or was or were. Uh, they're all sowers of discord. We'll just put it that way. The symbolism behind this gruesome imagery is actually pretty straightforward. Especially for Dante, who, as we know, oftentimes likes to kind of wax poetic about his uh, symbolism and whatnot. The sinners split people by causing schisms and discord, and they exist in this realm literally split themselves. Dante's placement of Mohammed here really gives him a chance to bring other religions and traditions into his extensive Christian Catholic vision. This is also a way to place Christianity over other beliefs. This is clearly Dante's way of blaming Muhammad for the split between Christianity and Islam. So yeah, if Dante were alive today, if he were to write this today, he would likely be a very big target for certain people. Things would go down. He would be considered a very controversial and maybe even a bit bigoted when you get right down to it. I don't know how the rest of the world saw him in his own time for this particular text. But like I said, today mm, might not go over so well. Muhammad takes his leave as another spirit approaches. This one is missing his nose and an ear and he's got a pretty gnarly wound in his throat. He begs Dante, as many souls seem to, to remember him and spread the word of his existence in the mortal plane above. This is Pierre da Medicina. Hey, look, I got something right on the, on the first try. How, how cool is that? I, that's pretty cool. 
Anyways, he asks Dante to warn a couple of Italians about their impending dooms. Apparently some dudes, Guido and Angelo Lalalalolo, I couldn't get that one right. Anyways, Guido and Angie, they're going to go sail off and they're going to die at sea or something. Like some one-eyed pirate named Malatestino is going to just go throw them off their ship. I, I don't know. You you can look it up yourself. You have all the same resources as me. The point is, he just wants Dante to let Guido and Angie know, watch out for the one-eyed pirate. Don't go near him. He's going to hurt you. Okay? That's 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 really all he wants him, wants him to... That's the message he wants relayed. Anyways, the souls here are all very talkative, which probably means that Dante had a bone to pick with a lot of people and really just kind of wanted to single them all out here. And you know what? I have to say, I applaud him for that. A third soul, this being Mosca di Lamberti. I can't say that without doing a... without getting into weird accent territory. That was, like, tame, because, like, when I wrote this, I literally said, Mosca di Lamberti. Just like that. Just like that. It was It was borderline offensive, wasn't very good. Let's move on. Anyways, Mosca, he approaches and requests a little remembrance. That's all. Dude just wants to be remembered. Also, this guy, headless, just walking around, holding his head like a lantern, gets up to Dante, raises it to get a better look at the travelers. He says that he is to blame for mutiny against his very own father. A little bit more about Mr. Lamberti here, though. He was a Florentine politician, and he played a rather vital role in the conflicts that brewed between the Guelphs and the Ghibellines. Masi here was all about the killing of a very specific enemy of his people, which had lasting repercussions for all Tuscans. A brief reminder of the Guelph and Ghibellines thing here. I'm pretty sure I explained this in an earlier episode, but it's pretty dense history, and I forget all the time myself. I'm just not a history guy. I mean, these Dante episodes, while fascinating, are so far out of my general wheelhouse, so I will remind myself from time to time, and I'm going to go ahead and pretend it's for your benefit. Anyways, the Guelphs and Ghibellines. They were two fiercely opposing political groups in Germany and Italy during the Middle Ages. The split between them was pretty much a split on the idea of who should rule the roost. The Guelphs said it should be the papacy. Why shouldn't the papal order reign supreme? While the Ghibellines, on the other hand, were all about, uh, you know, not the papacy. Not that they weren't religious or anything, they just didn't think the the papacy should be in charge. Instead, they favored German emperors. These emperor dudes were like totes important. They were seen as leaders of all the other kings and queens in Europe. So, I think there you have it. That's that's uh, that's uh, what that's what it's all about. There. Now, let's talk about my stuff for a change, huh? This week, on Darker Days, we leave behind the world of the other side. 
we take a break from the story of Dorothy and her fellow travelers and return to the stranger and his own following. Every once in a while, my story sees the inclusion of historical figures. Reginald, of course, being Jack the Ripper. The once powerful Wizard of Oz was revealed to be Mormon founder Joseph Smith. And this week, we hang out with the infamous Vernon Howell. If that name doesn't ring a bell, that might be because he is, or was, better known as David Koresh, leader of the Branch Davidians. And if that's still not ringing any bells, go look up the siege at Waco. He is a figure that has always fascinated me. I was a kid when the whole Waco thing went down. I remember seeing that on the news, and it was it was pretty crazy. I didn't understand it, but I remember seeing it, and it's one of those things that has really just stuck with me my entire life. And I have a fascination with cults in general. For those of you who know me best, and probably for some of you who don't know me best, you, you know that I spend a lot of time listening to or watching true crime. And I've spent most of my life wondering if I would be susceptible to falling into a cult myself. And maybe even a little saddened by never being invited into one. Not that I want to be in one, mind you, or would want to be in one where the leader was like marrying kids or taking extra wives or anything like that. But, you know, like one of those less harmful ones. I mean... Okay, the Heaven's Gates people, they weren't bad people. They had a wonderful life together. And really, they might never have killed themselves if things were just a little bit different. I'm not saying that they were great people. I mean, they all left their families and all that stuff. But anyways, I'm getting really far off track and into a really weird place now. The point is, sometimes it's nice to be invited to stuff. Uh, that's all I'm saying. Anyway, when I wrote this, that series starring Michael Shannon and that other guy, is it like maybe Aaron Taylor Johnson? Is that the that the name? I don't know. I, you you have IMDb. I'm sure you have IMDb. Anyways, that thing, it wasn't it wasn't a thing that didn't that didn't exist when I wrote this. Neither did the the very incredible Netflix docu series that. That was currently released. Yeah, there were other documentaries and articles and podcasts and, and stuff out there. But I just want to point out, the whole point of this is just to let you know I'm not jumping on a bandwagon. I was interested in it before it was cool to be interested in it. And the bandwagon, it just happened to be rolling by when I recorded this. So there you have it. Also, I know, there's a moment in there in which I state Koresh's following was a victim of an overreach or abuse of power. And that wasn't his own. I'm not necessarily being sympathetic to Koresh himself. He wasn't a great man. He needed to be stopped. But my views on the tragedy are, and always have been, and will probably always be, that things they didn't have to get that bad. I chose David Koresh for this particular chapter for two main reasons. One, he's a fascinating figure to me. Not a great one, 
but a fascinating one. And two, he died for what he believed. And I believe he believed what he believed. And I know that's a a lot of belief tangled up there. But you get the idea. Again, not saying what he did was right, but there's no denying that he was a martyr of all martyrs. And I don't think you go through that if you don't think you're right on every level. For him, the end was coming. A great schism was about to unfold, and he was on the right side of it. Again, that was that was all to him. I don't... He, he, he clearly wasn't on the right side of it. But anyways, for this, he was the perfect adversary for the stranger. Jim Jones didn't have that kind of faith, and Marshall Applewhite didn't have that kind of strength. So to move on, we see Vernon Howell talking to his own small following, a small faction within the confines of the stranger's group. They are all plotting to leave. Vernon, or David if you prefer, has been planning this escape for a while. In fact, he's been planning it since before he was even part of the stranger's group, plotting to steal away the stranger's following all along. Why gather your own followers when someone else will gather them for you? Of course, this all goes terribly awry, and becomes one of the grisliest and most vile things done by the stranger. He spares those who repent and give up their faith to Vernon. But those who choose Vernon are doomed to relentless torture and death. I don't go into an absurd amount of detail here. Dark days and darker days, while occasionally dipping into grotesque imagery, they've never really been about over-the-top violence just for the sake of it. There's plenty of gross-out stuff to come. I just didn't want to spend an entire chapter writing torture porn. What we do get here, though, is enough, which might actually be less than what we got from the Inferno. The first to die for Vernon is a young woman. She is split wide open for all to see. This is a direct reference to Dante's vivid depictions of violence. This chapter as a whole is less about imagery and more about message. Dante's intolerance to other uh, competing religions has always been something that stood out to me. The idea that Mohammed is down here and being tortured is just, well, it strikes a, an uncomfortable chord with me, to say the least. We get some dialogue here discussing the dangers of the stranger's ideology and the ways he has of controlling his people. Vernon tells his own followers that the stranger rules by fear and hate instead of love. Later, he protests the stranger's ways by telling him that fear and respect are two very different things and are certainly not equal. People do not respect what they fear. The stranger's intolerance is on full display here as well. He tells everyone, in no uncertain terms, that there is only one God, and it is not that of Vernon Howell. We also see him getting noticeably rattled by Vernon's unshakable will. The stranger is challenged, and violence is getting him nowhere. So he doubles down, 
triples down and continues to go further and further as he descends into his own rage-filled madness. If I missed something or failed to address something you feel I should have, or if I just goofed on my summary of Dante's Inferno, which of course is always a possibility, go ahead and let me know. I'm always open to questions, comments, or constructive criticism. And if I make a mistake and you let me know, not only will I give you a shout out, but I'll go back and like fix my mistake. And, and all that stuff. You don't have to like this show. I'm not entirely sure why you're listening if you don't, though. But like it or not, you you can be nice. I know you can. Because I believe in you. And I'm not just saying that. I'm, those aren't empty words. That is me saying, I believe that you can be a nice person. Maybe people don't think you're a nice person. Maybe you're not a nice person. But I think that at this very moment in time, you can be a nice person. I know you can, because I believe in you. I really do. If you would like to get in touch with me, you can do that through the good old-fashioned email. That's darkdaysofdorothygale at outlook.com. You can find me on Twitter and TikTok, where it's at darkdorothyg though I don't do much on Twitter these days. Alternately, I appear on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram under the assumed identity of at the ordinary sun. That's S-U-N. Again, not not a whole lot there on, on the old Twitter feed. In fact, I purged it recently, so there's like almost nothing there. But you're welcome to go and and, and check it out, I guess, if that's what you want to do. The Instagram feed is actually where most of the cool stuff is. It has a lot of fun, dark days uh, artwork. The uh, TikTok feed has some video clips, some sound clips, and, and some other cool artwork of, as well. And, of course, if social media isn't quite your jam, if you're just not digging it these days, there is always the official... Dark Days website. That is ddofdg.com. And no, for all you smarties out there, that's not Dark Days of Dollar General. You can also find links to t-shirts and stickers and all that fun stuff there as well. Also, I recently added a uh, sort of a, a, a bibliography of sorts. All my all my favorite sources, YouTube channels, podcasts, my favorite translations, places that I go to get the information that lands right here in this very podcast. A great comprehensive list with like a little a little uh, little blurb to tell you uh, you know what 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 you can expect from those sources, some better than others. And it's a, it's a really good source. If you're interested in learning more about the Inferno, there's not a whole I don't put a whole lot of stuff there about the Wizard of Oz. It's mostly the Inferno for that for that part. But uh it's there. It's recent. Uh and it's awesome. So there's that. I'm kind of speaking off the cuff for this one. Usually I read 
all this information just from a little screen as I'm recording. Uh, for some reason or other today, I thought I'd just be a little more freewheeling. Not so sure it's working out, but it is what it is. Anyways, Darker Days of Dorothy Gale. Used to be on Amazon as an ebook, and it was even there in paperback form for a little bit. How crazy is that? But at the time of this particular recording and the last particular recording and the particular recording before that one, and, and so anyways, the point is, it's not there right now. It's not there right now. Uh, the podcast, currently the only way to experience Darker Days of Dorothy Gale if you didn't get the book before I took it down. If you would like to support the show, buying the book would be the least helpful way of going about it. Really, a t-shirt or a sticker or something is like totes the coolest way to go. And if you would like to support my specific brand of creativity in a more financial way... You could always find me at buymeacoffee.com slash ordinarysun. Again, that's S-U-N. Um, it's there. You can you can throw a couple bucks my way if you if you so choose. Still, still, t-shirts, stickers, all that stuff, way cooler. Way, way cooler. If you do support me on Buy Me a Coffee, however, I will send you a personal handwritten thank you note complete with a fun little sketch. I'll even give you a shout-out on this uh, possibly obscure podcast. I don't, if that's something you want me to do, I, w- I would do that for you. And if you don't want to donate to this cause, you don't want to buy a sticker, a t-shirt, a poster, you don't want to buy me a coffee, that's totally A-OK as well. I get it, man. I understand Times they be tough. They be tough, they be. And I am happy to do this either way. So, with all that out of the way, come back next time, hopefully soon, for Chapter 39 of Darker Days of Dorothy Gale. The Falsifier, the Queen, and the Giant's Well. Thanks for listening. I love you all.